Sewing machines have gone mostly silent now that two million garment workers in Bangladesh have been furloughed or fired without pay. Brands like Topshop and Urban Outfitters have reportedly canceled factory orders, while companies like The Gap have asked their suppliers for discounts. But the contractors who sew for these high street names say their future looks bleak. So far, I have been paid and my family can eat, but we are terrified because we could get sick at any time. We have been on leave from the garment factory since the 23rd of March because there is no work on our factory floor. And because there is no work, our salary has been deducted. Bangladesh is the second largest clothing manufacturer in the world, and the industry accounts for over 80% of the country's total exports, according to the World Bank. More than 5,000 ready-made garment factories employ 4 million people and produce clothes for global brands like H&M, Target and Marks & Spencer. And many who form the first mile of these supply chains believe that if the companies viewed them more like essential employees rather than third-party suppliers, these brands could make a big difference in their lives. By the grace of God, I am doing well right now. But I'm terrified because the garment factory I work for is closed and the owners have stopped supporting us. We are getting some help from the government, but how long will this last? As things stand, I think I would prefer to die working at the garment factory than die at home without food. Companies across the world are eager to demonstrate how successful they are at integrating environmental, social and governance goals, or ESG, into their business practices. But the current pandemic has brought companies' approach to ESG under the spotlight, and questions have emerged around how much responsibility they have to support workers throughout their supply chains. Like our anonymous garment worker, some have been left in the lurch as multinational companies flee the scene. I'm Kanika Seigel. And I'm Nell McKenzie. And in this prequel to our next Treasury and Turbulence podcast series, we are looking at the initial effect that the COVID-19 pandemic has played on how corporates adhere to their ESG policies. What will follow this episode are three shows that we made for you that were all set to go live at the end of March. But we could not ignore how the world has changed, even in the short time. Here's a little bit of what you can look forward to if you stick with us. They have to promise shorter and shorter delivery times. Anyone who wants to see our data, they can see our data. Can really track how a vessel is going into these waters. Size bias in the ESG data. A certain degree of complacency that's extremely dangerous. You hear only one voice, which is the corporate view. But for now, we're going back to look at how Bangladeshi garment workers at the beginning of fashion supply chains should fit into ESG principles and whether principles are possible when the world is in lockdown. This podcast is supported by City Treasury and Trade Solutions. With experts in 98 countries around the world, City is uniquely able to give advice and solutions to global companies to help them manage their international trade and financial flows in this time of deep uncertainty and change. Brands and retailers have responsibilities to workers in their global supply chains, and, and this is outlined in the U United Nations Guiding Principles in Business and Human Rights, as well as the OECD Guide Due Diligence Guidance for the Garment and for Twe Sector. And what they should do is, it's very simple, they have to 
stand by their contracts. This is Aruna Kashia, Senior Counsel in the Women's Rights Division of Human Rights Watch. The current crisis is also exacerbated by the fact that a lot of brands and retailers push down prices in countries with complete impunity. They have unfair purchasing terms that suppliers have no power to negotiate or even make them slightly fairer to them. And this crisis, I mean, the COVID pandemic has sharpened focus to these problems and these problems need very strong solutions going forward. So the same crisis doesn't repeat itself. Otherwise, every time there's a crisis for brands, it means factories will close and workers will be out of jobs and the cycle will never be broken. The global lockdown has created a crisis for a number of retailers. Kath Kitson, Debenhams, Oasis, Warehouse and Danelm have all appointed administrators. Of course, this is not limited to clothing retailers. Amazon has come under fire for the way it's treated its warehouse workers. Food services company Aramark has laid off a number of its employees, leaving those in the US without access to healthcare. And the tourism industry, which has more or less come to a complete halt, could leave up to 75 million people globally without a job. Companies across the board are under extreme financial duress. Since the start of the year, both the FTSE 100 and 250 have lost about a quarter of their value. We're recording this in late April. So with all this financial pressure, can large corporates afford to focus on ESG when they're just trying to stay afloat? Here's Carlo Funk, head of ESG investment strategy in EMEA for State Street Global Advisors. What I don't think should happen still it's like, for example, violation of UN global compact, so basic human rights and basic labor rights. We, as an investor from the buy side, are certainly pushing very hard towards that this should not be neglected at all. I mean, you will have to take it from a case-by-case basis that if a company is close to bankruptcy and they are making the case and say, we need to cut certain things here and there, you have to be prudent as an investor, obviously. That's also a responsibility you have. But there are certain lines you will not want to cross. And things around labor standards and human rights violations, those are lines you do not want to cross whatsoever regardless if you're operating in crisis mode or not. We might see a postponement of certain things because we need to cut companies some slack in the short term. However, it's very important to be very clear that certain ESG-related initiatives have been identified before the pandemic outbreak because of a fundamental belief that this is important for long-term value creation. And that notion doesn't change whatsoever. But this long-term survival will also depend on the well-being of their workers. Because while large corporates have seen their businesses put on hold, those that will eventually recover will need a willing workforce for when it's back to business as usual. My name is Cynthia Williams, and I am the Osler Chair and business law at Osgoode Hall Law School at York University in Toronto, Ontario. Cynthia has studied corporate accountability and corporate law for the last 20 years. I think all of us, including investors, are recognizing the importance of how companies treat their workers. Organizational psychologists have had data for 40 years showing that treating workers well, creating a just work climate, It is financially smart, it improves productivity, it reduces absenteeism, it reduces employee turnover. How companies treat their workers has 
financial effect. But I think what we're all now seeing is that how companies treat their workers and how safe their workers are and how well their workers, you know, health is supported and the benefits that these things are really critical to all of us right now. The truckers bringing food to the warehouses that then bring distribution centers that then bring food to our grocery stores. And obviously, nurses, doctors, nursing assistants, home health aides. I think many of the kinds of workers whose work has not been well supported and recognized are now being recognized as important. And so investors who have looked at these kinds of metrics when they're making their investment decisions previously are probably doubling down on that. Clapping for key workers and furloughing factory staff doesn't go far enough to show just how valuable these people are to the survival of supply chains and the global economy. At the end of the day, employees need job security and a living wage. Now we are also seeing some of the lack of resilience from not only global supply chains for goods, but treating workers as if they were part of a global supply chain for labor, right? Gig workers, zero-hour contract workers, our modes of production not being at all sustainable. Multinational companies have more tools available than ever to prop up their businesses and support workers. This includes leveraging a number of existing financial products, such as restructuring debt, payment holidays, cash pooling, access to new credit lines and diversifying supply chains. And for Aruna and Human Rights Watch, companies should be doing everything in their power to keep workers safe. Investors who are really keen on human rights and ESG indicators will pay very close attention to how companies treat workers and their supply chain. I think brands should explore all kinds of financing options. You know, there are any number of things that companies can do, especially big companies, and they should explore all options they have to make sure that the decisions they take, the financial decisions they're making, are not at the cost of the jobs of the poorest workers. But some of these financial tools have limits. So in some countries, government assistance is another route that businesses can access for financial support. In the last few weeks, trillions of dollars worth of stimulus packages have been announced. Meanwhile, lending rates have been slashed and central banks are on bond buying sprees, all measures put in place to support the increasingly fragile economy. But while government assistance means well, it also needs to be targeted. Some suggest governments have a responsibility to embed ESG goals into their stimulus packages. Otherwise, the most vulnerable in society will continue to fall through the cracks. This is Marcus Neto, the finance sector hub director at the UN's Development program. The $2 trillion of the United States government, $350 billion is for SME, for liquidity for SMEs, for payroll payment of SMEs. It's fantastic. Now they're asking for an extra $250 billion now. What we already seen on the first $350 billion is that SMEs owned by minorities are not having as much access as, as others. Women-owned SMEs are falling behind. SMEs dealing with disabled or low-income populations are falling behind. So there is no reason with the initial anecdotal of days of operation evidence for the next $250 billion to already take in consideration some of those elements. The virus is feeding on inequality, on the problems that we as a society have had for decades and haven't been able to dealt with. 
Well, the solution needs to take that into consideration. I don't agree that governments should be agnostic of the realities of social dimensions, especially as you're starting to get data that the virus is going to have an overburdened proportion on the poor or marginalized communities. Since its inception, the lack of clarity around ESG has split opinion. No one agrees on how the ideas behind it should be executed, who bears the responsibility to hit targets, and who should benefit from these principles. Though the world has changed, this debate, which we look at in our series, carries on. But for the most vulnerable in society, like the marginalised garment workers we speak to in Bangladesh, sustaining the supply chain and supporting business is a matter of life or death. I would ask clothing companies, please do not cancel your orders from Bangladesh. Rather give us more orders so that we can work and support our families. But if the garment factories remain closed, they should try somehow to support us financially. If we can get help with securing just one month's worth of food, at least we wouldn't have to worry about putting food on the table. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Euromoney. You can share us on Facebook and Twitter. We have released today's episode as well as our first original episode. In two weeks' time, we'll be talking about the ESG ratings industry. And two weeks after that, how technology is changing everything. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you stay with us.